Cool, so we are in week two of a series called The Human Journey, and it's all about learning from the life and leadership of Moses, the man who led God's people, the Israelites, out of the bondage they were in in Egypt and toward the promised land. And this is all coming from the book of Exodus, Old Testament book of Scripture. And as we think about this, we consider the words from Psalm 78 verse 5 that say, the story of Israel is a lesson in God's ways, God's ways for you and I, his people today. The difference for us is that the promised land the Israelites were moving towards won't be found in this life for us. And if we believe that it can be, we will find ourselves getting distracted and disillusioned because the promised land is our inheritance in heaven. Till the day we die, you and I are in process. And and so the question for you and I isn't, will I ever get to the promised land? Jesus has ensured that. That is our inheritance as heirs of the kingdom. And so the question isn't, will I ever get to my promised land destination, but will I remain faithful in the process which leads me in the right direction? The promised land is heaven. We're living in process. Am I today faithfully moving in the right direction as I'm in process toward that promise? Now for Moses, as he led the Israelites into the promised land, there were many moments where his direction was threatened and even disrupted. Last week, we looked at how one of his first distractions involved dealing with his own sense of identity after his traumatic childhood. It tells us in the New Testament book of Hebrews chapter 11, 24, that by faith, when he had grown up, Moses refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He actually had to, by faith, work through the things that had defined who he had become and reject the things which were untrue about who he was. By faith, he had to refuse to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And then we concluded last week with understanding that the narrative of Moses' life would move from the poor guy who was rescued from the waters of the Nile as a child to the man of God who rescued Israel from the waters of the Red Sea. So now as Moses chooses to follow God's call, put his past behind him uh, and deliver the Israelites out of Egypt toward the promised land, there's this period with much confrontation with Pharaoh and plagues that taunt the Egyptians until finally Pharaoh lets the Israelites go as God has called Moses to take them. And so they begin their journey out of Egypt. But Pharaoh then changes his mind about letting the Israelites go and and decides to recapture them. And he gets them in a position where they are trapped between his army and the Red Sea. It's like, uh uh-oh, how are we getting out of this one? And then Exodus chapter 14 verse 10 tells us, as Pharaoh approached, he's coming. The enemy is coming toward them. The Red Sea is behind them. They're stuck. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, what? Was it because we were, there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? I don't know if you've ever felt trapped by a problem with no way out. You might be in that place right now. Or I don't know if you've ever felt the pressure to present an explanation to others when things didn't go as planned. 
This is exactly where Moses was in this moment. But he responded not by running from the presence of the enemy, but by running into the presence of God. And so Moses replies to the people, instead of freaking out like I would, feeling trapped with no solution, Moses responded, as we see in Exodus chapter 14, verse 14, by saying, the Lord will fight for you, you need only to be still. I'm worked up, I'm getting ready to strive and fight, and I'm told be still and God will fight for you. See, stillness in the presence of God carried enough power to protect Israel in the presence of their enemies. Stillness in the presence of God carried enough power to protect Israel in the presence of their enemy. And Moses would slowly learn this truth, even more so as he continued this journey of leading God's people toward the promised land. It was then in the stillness of God's presence that Exodus chapter 14 verse 15 continues and says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Now in the stillness of God's presence, Moses was given a clear instruction to raise the staff in his hands, releasing the power to make straight the path before him and defeat the enemy behind him. I wonder how much of the move of God we would see if instead of living so often striving, we became still and simply raised our hands in his presence. The staff that Moses raised over the sea became a symbol of the power of God's presence that Moses would continue running to in times of difficulty as he navigated the process toward the promise leading the Israelite people. And one of the really good examples of just another moment where Moses had to run into God's presence when he faced the problem can be found a little further in Scripture in Exodus chapter 17, verse 3 documents a moment that tells us that the people had now got to a place where they were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Just like at the Red Sea, the people felt like there was no obvious solution to the problem and they looked to Moses for answers. And just like at the Red Sea, Moses does what he did before as verse 4 continues and says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord. He didn't run from the problem. He ran into the presence of God and cried out to the Lord. What am I to do, God? Hey, God, I need you to give me some, some wisdom here. These people are ready to stone me. And Dr. Ruth Barton comments on this portion of Scripture with Moses, speaking of Moses, saying, rather than lashing out at them in this situation and getting hooked into trying to prove himself to them, he battled it out in private with God. By faith, Moses believed God's presence would be where provision and protection were found. And so instead of lashing out or trying to prove himself to the people as they complained, Moses cried out to the Lord. And verse 5 then continues when it says, The Lord answered Moses and said, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff 
We know that symbolizes the presence of God's, the power of God's presence. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. And I, and I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people. And it did. Just like as he raised the staff at the Red Sea, it parted. As with the Nile and the Red Sea, Moses would once again raise his staff in God's presence and God would provide water through a miracle. Moses responded to the problem in faith by running into God's presence. When his feelings may have tempted him to react by lashing out in anger and frustration like he once had done when years before he murdered an Egyptian who was beating a Hebrew slave. Moses struggled with his emotions. His pent-up anger had caused him to one day kill an Egyptian in frustration. And now we see him pause in the presence of God and react to his problems by faith. It's interesting that there are two occasions in Moses' life where we see him react from feelings of anger and frustration instead of faith. And the crazy thing is that both of those moments in which Moses' feelings drove his direction ended up leading him to places he didn't intend to go in the process of getting to the promised land. Firstly, as we've mentioned, at the age of 40, he reacted in frustration for his people and while living in Egypt, exploded with anger when he saw an Egyptian slave master beating a Hebrew slave. And so he killed the Egyptian only to flee the comforts of Egypt in fear of Pharaoh's punishment, which meant he ended up in the wilderness. And then it was at the age of 80 that in that wilderness, God would call him to this journey leading the Israelites to the promised land. The second occasion on which Moses reacted out of anger and frustration is seen a little later while he's now on this journey God had called him to. And it is interesting because this occasion is almost related to the miracle we've just spoken about whereby water came out of a rock when God had told Moses to strike it with his staff. We read of this in Numbers chapter 20 a little further on where the Israelites now have arrived at a desert area called Zin but they had no more water like the last time. And they argued with Moses and said as the scripture says, why did you bring us out of Egypt to this terrible place? I'm like, dude, Every time you've got a problem, you keep saying the same thing. Now, again, blaming, why did you bring us here? Why are we here? And they go, it's, there's no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. So as Moses has done so often in the past, he runs into the presence of God. And Numbers chapter 20 from verse 7 tells us, the Lord said to Moses, now take the staff. It sounds so similar to the many other experiences they had. Take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock before their eyes. In the past he had a strike. This time a little later, again without water, God says speak. He says, speak to this rock. 
or speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You'll bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out and the community and livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land that I give them. On this occasion, Moses says to the people after he's been given these instructions from God, these words, he says, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock? Now, that may not seem like anything to take too much notice of, but when you do further study, you find out that there's a portion of scripture in Psalm 106 verse 33 that gives description to this moment. And when you read that, you realize this was a rebellious moment in which Moses was living from his feelings, not his faith. Because it tells us in Psalm 106 33, for they rebelled, they being the Israelites, rebelled against the spirit of God and rash words came from Moses' lips. Another version says Moses spoke without thinking. Like those times when you lose your temper and say something to someone you love and regret later? You see, Moses' words in this moment revealed strong feelings of frustration. And these emotions were driving his decisions unlike the previous moments of faith in God's presence when facing the Red Sea or at the rock which he was told to strike instead of speaking to. And so instead of speaking to the rock like he was told, he ended up striking it two times in frustration. And like the way he ended up in the undesirable wilderness place after killing the Egyptian in a temper, he would now remain in the wilderness for striking the rock in his frustration. The scripture tells us that God said to him, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Moses' unfiltered emotional reaction sabotaged his spiritual, his spiritual inheritance. On that occasion, Moses' feelings were given permission to lead his life instead of his faith. I've heard what God said, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do it, but just I'm so, I'm going to do it my way because I feel. I ask you, how many times have your feelings taken priority in directing your life over and above your faith? As imperfect human beings, we all do this, probably more than we realize you see, emotions are supposed to be data, not directives in our lives. We are to explore the data our emotions are revealing to us without shame. God wants us to do this as part of our intimacy with him. But our faith should be our directive in life, not our feelings. Think about it this way. Fear is a feeling that only wins when you allow it to determine your decisions. Fear doesn't win if you feel it. In fact, acknowledging your feelings is healthy, but our faith isn't how we feel. 
even if it's true to who we are. Our faith is how we respond to our feelings, which are in submission to who God is. I don't have to deny who I am and how I feel, but by faith, I bring myself into submission of God's will. This is what our faith is all about. Just as Moses had needed faith to refuse giving power to the feeling that his identity was as a child to Pharaoh's daughter, now he needed faith to trust God's instruction when he felt frustrated with people and the process he was in. Like the Israelites in the process toward the promise, we all experience frustration in the process of daily life. When will it be finished? When will they stop? How long must I wait? How much more do I need? The lesson we can learn from Moses is that we need to ensure we don't let our reaction to feelings sabotage the spiritual inheritance we are to possess by faith. We should be navigating things saying this, and this might help. God, although this is how I feel, I choose what faith requires. So you're allowed to feel, for you, you must, that's good, you're human, and, and it's true to who you are. And in those moments, just going, okay, God, so I feel like I just want to smash his face, but faith requires that I pray for my enemy. Faith requires that I don't live by what I see, but what I believe. I believe, Lord, that I need to love like you, and that means I cannot, by feelings, Decide where I go in this moment. In fact, Scripture tells us that our faith is about endurance. Perhaps it's enduring a wilderness that doesn't feel good when all you want is wonderland. The author of the book of Hebrews writes to the followers of Jesus in the early churches. They were walking their human journey. And in Hebrews 10, 32, he says, remember those early days after you received the light, your salvation, the light of Christ. You remained strong in a great battle that was full of suffering. Sometimes people spoke badly about you in front of others. Sometimes you were treated badly. At other times, you stood side by side with people being treated like this. You suffered along with people in prison. When you, your property was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that God had given you better and more lasting things. So don't throw away your bold faith, he says. Clearly, the followers of Jesus were feeling discouraged at this time. Their feelings were threatening their faithfulness to their spiritual direction. And so they were encouraged not to throw away their bold faith. The author then continues and says, it will bring rich rewards. You need to be faithful, he writes. Then you will do what God wants. You will receive what he has promised. If Moses had held on to bold faith, there's the possibility he may have not reacted from his raw feelings, but submitted them in faith to God, even in that moment, and then not lost the reward God had promised him, the land flowing with milk and honey. Now, we all struggle at times, and we fail to manage the tension of our feelings and our faith as we walk in this human journey toward God's promise. 
just like the Israelites did. But in admitting this, Paul writes to us from Romans chapter 8, verse 28, saying that we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now Moses was loved and called to God's purpose, just like you and me. And that means that God can even work for the good out of our destiny from our bad decisions. God can even work the good for our destiny out of bad decisions. I'm like, oh, thank you, Jesus. This whole sermon's just been getting me so tense because I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, I do that all the time. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you can even work for the good of my destiny from my bad decisions. You see, this is what God did for Moses and it's what he does for us. In Moses' case, After killing the Egyptian in anger and having to flee to the undesirable wilderness as a consequence, it would become the very place of his preparation for God's purposes as he developed a familiarity with the very landscape God would later call him to lead the Israelites through. He's sitting there, oh, you know, look what I've done to myself, walking around the place, feeling sorry, not realizing the sovereign God is working it for his good and busy preparing him with an eye that understands this landscape because he would have never dreamed the purposes of God would call him to lead people through the very place he felt was punishment for his bad decision. (laughs) God, you're sovereign. You will work it. Even if you're struggling with the places your bad decisions have led you to, God is still able to prepare you for greater purpose. You haven't lost your one chance. The wilderness became Moses' place of preparation for God's purpose and his failure to enter the promised land after striking the rock, that second time he reacted from his emotions, the failure to enter the promised land after striking the rock would become part of a journey in discovering the depths of God's presence beyond life itself. And next week, we're going to go there together and we're going to learn more about what that means for you and me. But I wanna say that no matter how badly you've messed up, no matter how much regret you have for the consequences you may be living in because of a moment in which you reacted from your feelings instead of faith, God can still and still continues to work for your good It's not too late and never will be. And you're not too far gone and never can be. And so as we land today, no matter where you find yourself in the story, I want us to leave reflecting on two questions for our own journey. The first question is, where is my personal life? Where in my personal life do I need to exchange honest feelings that are not leading me well with bold faith? It might be an area of your life where for too long you've been stuck because what's driven your decisions in that place has been the way you feel, not your faith. And it's time for you to go, okay, I gotta stop letting this part of my life just be driven by feelings. I need to bring faith into this. I need the courage to stand on what faith says, even though my feelings have been so overwhelming. The second question may be the same thing, but said a, a little clearer And this is the question, where in my life do I need to choose what faith requires of me beyond the way I feel? 
where in my life do I need to choose what faith requires of me beyond the way I'm feeling? For Moses, it required refusing an identity that told him he was not worthy. It required stillness at the Red Sea instead of striving to win a fight against his enemy. And it required speaking to the rock instead of striking it. Where are you striking a rock that God's called you to speak? Mm -hmm.